You're listening to episode 378 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hey, Max, how are you? Good, good. Greetings from Ashtabula, Ohio. You could say that again. Or the Hampton in any way. Well, we, I guess we're going to, we'll, we'll be brief this episode, but in our last episode, we did have our correspondent at large, um, Launchpad Missouri, Brad, uh, unfortunately perished um, flying his Falkwolf Warbird on the 4th of July, um, flying home from an air show. Um, so unfortunately, we lost a good friend and someone who um, the aviation community hold very dear. So, and ironically, it was this show was his last recording. And while he didn't do it often for us here on UAV Digest, he was a huge friend to uh, Max and I on Airplane Geeks, as well as anybody who got to know Brad, you were instantly friends with him. So um, we, we thank everybody who's reached out to us over the last couple of weeks. With that, I'm going to say let's get on with the news of the week. What do you think, Max? All right, David, let's talk some news. Well, our topics this week are airspace coordinator collaborating with archaeologists, interactive UAS incident map, drone swarms that sniff out gas leaks, the X-56B UAV is destroyed, making drones and air taxis quiet, and AI drones that find meteorites. Not our meteorites, but are able to sniff them out. So we've got sniffing out meteorites and gas leaks, possibly for um, using an interactive map. How's that com- for combining everything? All right. So I think we should get start with started with our first story, which comes from SouthernMary'sChronicle.com. PAX UAS airspace coordinators collaborate with local archaeologists. I thought this was kind of neat considering PAX is one of my favorite um, naval stations. And if you don't know, Patuxent River is the home of the Naval Test Pilot School and primarily is involved with experimentation. And they do have a UAV program there. And this centers around something called Historic St. Mary's City, which they abbreviate HSMC, which is actually the earliest settlement in Maryland. And there's a fort associated with that that was erected in 1634. And the folks who were doing the archaeology around HSMC, the St. Mary's City, they wanted to utilize some drones to uh, do some of the work, some of the surveying work. But I guess, David, they, they really didn't know a lot about they didn't know what they didn't know when it comes to flying drones. And so a gentleman at PAX helped them out. Yeah, first class, first class James Cody Green started working, um, and he's an UAS airspace coordinator and air traffic controller at PAX Patuxent River. And so he worked with the, the archaeologists to fly safe and fly the operate the UASs in technically Patuxent Rivers airspace and, and to navigate the rules and the regulations and to do it safely. 
Um, the activity was carried out in secret, and the plan was to announce it as a surprise for the 2019 Maryland Day. Unfortunately, COVID changed that plan, and there were a lot of drone flights, and Green had to approve each one of them. And he worked with the team to make sure that the flights were compliant. Clearly, there was some successful archaeology done. Um, so it it was a really great way of having the military interact with the civilian population and archaeologists developing a new using a new tool in their toolbox. It, it's interesting. I thought that uh, Cody Green was eager to to help out in this way. I mean, I could imagine someone in his position just saying, well, you know, you guys have to figure it out. You know, you come to me for for the approval to fly, but what you have to do in order to get to that point, you guys figure all that out yourselves. But it sounds like he didn't do that at all. And he really he really helped them a lot. And the, uh, the folks doing the archaeology uh, learned a lot about you know what's a uh, what's a part 107 what's um, what are the uh, airspace requirements and it sounds like it was really kind of a successful collaboration so yeah i think that's really kind of neat definitely a collaboration or and a symbiosis and it benefited everybody you know and i'm sure that integrating civilian drones into Patuxent Rivers airspace was a learning curve for the PACS team as well as the archaeologists who were doing the integrating. So, But thousands of FAA drones and unidentified incident reports can be found and looked at with their new interactive tool from our favorite website, The Drive. So the FAA, as you would expect, compiles a list or several lists, actually, I guess, uh, several sources of data concerning UAS as well as unidentified aircraft incident reports. And so what the drive has done is they've taken this FAA data, which actually is in several different formats and it's not consolidated, I guess, but they've processed that data and they've created an interactive tool that the drive makes available for anyone who wants that maps the reports as well as making them searchable. Searchable meaning close to 10,400 incident reports. So UAS citing reports data run from November 2014 to December 2020, um, and the data does not appear to be scrubbed. But Max, you did some playing and you came up with one close to home. I did. Of course, the first thing I did is brought up the map, uh, zoomed in on Connecticut, looked for uh, an incident report that was close by, and I found case 9683 that occurred on July 14th, 2020, so almost exactly a year ago, at an altitude of uh, 6,500 feet. And the description is pretty simple. It says, preliminary info from FAA Ops, Meriden, Connecticut, that's the location. UAS incident, 1700E, Yankee, Tracon, advised Cessna C-182, observed a UAS while northbound at 6,500 feet, 5 Northwest Meriden. UAS came within 200 feet of aircraft, which was forced to take evasive action. No injuries reported. 
Connecticut State Police Department notified. So uh, you can browse around and look and see what's <laughs> what's happening near you. But I think the drive is also intending for this to be a, a kind of a source of of information that uh, others might utilize uh, to uh, you know do some research or draw some so draw some conclusions, do some analysis, and that sort of thing. It's a very useful tool, um, and if they keep it updated, it'll be a very helpful thing even for the FAA to be able to search all of this stuff quickly. And I, I see somebody's PhD thesis coming out of this just because this is the kind of data that causes those things. Um, so it, definitely check it out and play. And if anybody comes across something that was interesting to them, let us know, you know, like Max did, check out your local area and see what, what's happening in your neck of the woods. Now, this, um, this website is termed UAV Geography, or it's titled UAV Geography, which is kind of, I don't know, kind of a strange, uh, strange title, but it does make the URL easy, so you can find this map at uavgeography.com. Now, the, the drive also mentions that they are expecting to make some updates to this and improvements to the system over time. Uh, this is they say the initial release of this tool, but they plan to incorporate additional search and filtering functionality. They also hope to make some further improvements to the location matching system. And uh, as they say, their ability to extract altitude information. So a work in progress, but it's uh, it's kind of fun and uh, certainly a little bit useful at this point. Anyway, so you can check it out. Link in the show notes, but you can probably remember this. It's uavgeography.com. Swarm of autonomous tiny drones can localize gas leaks. This was from ScienceDaily.com. Delft University of Technology and Harvard University have developed a swarm of tiny drones that can autonomously detect and localize gas sources in cluttered indoor environments. Yeah, well, when you, when you smell gas, you leave the building. It's that simple. But you have to send in the drones because eventually some persons usually have to go into the building to check the gas leaks. Usually it's the fire or the gas department. But drones can do them faster and quicker. So these uh, these tiny little drones uh, presented some uh, some difficulties, some complications. If you have a swarm of tiny little drones, well, they have tiny little processors and only a little tiny bit of memory. And so it took some doing, apparently, to develop the artificial intelligence that would fit into that small processor. The solution is, to me, David, intriguing. So they used bio-inspired navigation and search strategies. And as uh, they describe in the, in the paper, uh, think of something like fruit flies. So there's a little tiny little insect. Doesn't have a, a lot of processing power going on in that tiny little brain of its, but they can still navigate through complex environments. So the researchers developed an algorithm based on that, and they called that Sniffy bug, which I think is a great name for that algorithm, David. 
So sniffy bug, um, as long as no drone has sensed any gas, the drone spread out as much as possible over the environment while avoiding obstacles and each other. If one of the drone senses gas at its location, it tells everybody else to show up, basically. So they all collaborate to find and locate and coordinate the pinpoint location of the gas leak. It goes into a lot deep, deeper, but it is kind of neat that you got one, one little drone goes, one little fruit fly says, look, fruit, and then the rest of them show up. Um, and then the, the bigger animals can come along and go, ooh, fruit. So it's not yet functioning, but some problems they still have to work out is moving in 3D at height, and the robust robustness of the navigation, meaning that they are bouncing them off the walls and they don't necessarily um, fly in a straight line or, you know, sometimes obstacles do get in the way. So fascinating uh, technology. We run across that, gosh, David, it, it seems like it, at least once a month where there is some uh, uh, solution inspired by biology being applied to AI drones, autonomous drones, something like that. It, it just kind of keeps coming up over and over. Yeah, biomimicry is definitely something that we've talked about a lot. And, and you know, it, we're, we're, we're still trying to catch up with Mother Nature because she seemed to have got it right the first time. Mm. We're, we're just another tool that, to learn how to use our other tools, so... Well, the next one is a bit of a um, sad news. The NASA's X-56B UAV was destroyed in a crash on July 9th. Um, a, quote, flight anomaly caused the vehicle to crash. Could they have been any more ambiguous, Max? <laughs> no. In fact, they, they haven't really said much. They haven't said anything uh, at this point beyond that. But uh, NASA does say that... They'll, uh, they'll let us know when the investigation is complete, if not before that. Uh, but uh, So the X-56B just started test flights this year in April. Now, of course, we have the X-56A. And, David, that had actually been around for quite a while. Uh, yeah, the X-58A um, was a, ha ended in 2019 and was a six-year run and it was a blended body um blended body aircraft where the wing and the fuselage all are together kind of like a flying wing but a little bit different and it was a very successful program it went on for six years they discovered stuff so the x56b is a follow-on it, it has the same thick center section as the 56A, but um, different wings. And um, it was supposed to show how flutter occurs at altitude, and um, evidently something had gone wrong considering it was just being flown since April. So we don't know, apparently, if this was the only X-56B out there. Uh, maybe it was one of a kind. Maybe there are more. We don't know. And uh, we don't also know when testing will resume. Obviously, if this was the only <laughs> airframe uh, on the B model, 
then it'd probably be quite some time before they were able to to construct another. Although being based on the 56A, uh, maybe it doesn't take that long to fabricate the uh, the new wings. But in any event, we don't really know at this point when the testing will resume. But it does prove that NASA still is doing that A part of their name, not just the S part of the name. The X program has been a very successful program, and there's a lot of ones continuing. So while there are setbacks, NASA does keep pushing forward in the aeronautics world. So Whisper Arrow emerges from stealth to quiet for drones and air taxis. Noise. Drones make noise. Helicopters make noise. Irritating noise. And that was one of those things that I was interested in the in this article was why they make annoying noises is the fact that the frequencies don't match up and don't sound pleasant to the ear. So, yeah, this is something that we've been thinking about for quite a while, David, which is that if you're going to have... <laughs> Flocks of uh, urban air mobility vehicles, uh, given the noise that they make, mm, uh, this could represent a problem. Um, the article points out that, well, well, helicopters make a lot of noise as well, but we don't see or hear, actually, uh, helicopters all that often. Now, I know there's some places uh, in the city where you might, but uh, for most of us, you just don't hear them that often. Uh, if you have great numbers of air taxis or delivery drones or whatever flying around, there's a, lots, a lot of racket going on. So we have this startup. It's called Whisper Aero, appropriately enough. And they believe they have a solution, although they're not describing in any detail what this is or how it works. But uh, we we understand that there's an electric thruster that would blend in the uh, drone's noise or reduce it down to, to background levels to the extent that it would actually be difficult for uh, the, the human to hear the sound. That, that's, boy, that's pretty aggressive. Well, it, noise canceling for drones. I, I believe we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Noise canceling technology seems to be a fairly common thing i mean all of us have noise canceling earphones anymore these days but noise canceling on a helicopter or a drone that's a whole nother story so this is this is going to be an important technology if we're going to go forward and have like max says lots of drones flying around lots of in lots of areas i mean they helicopters make a lot of noise i can always tell when a helicopter's coming in at the airport because it, it definitely is a much noisier prospect um, than an airplane. <laughs> and the other part about what this article that was interesting was quadcopters and um, hexacopters, etc., multirotors, have different sounds than um, traditional aircraft or helicopters. So there's a whole new breed of noise to cancel out. And with the large number of different designs 
um, that are you know being developed or proposed out there, they have different noise profiles, so or likely or could, so that adds a complication to this as as well. But uh, Whisper Arrow was created by Mark Moore, who was director of engineering at Uber Elevate, which is now part of Joby Aviation. So he's been in this space before, and uh, this this startup uh, they think that they'll begin with the small drone market around 2023, and then scaled it up progressively to include air taxis and other larger vehicles. So the the goal is to get these thrusters manufactured and in vehicles by the end of the decade. They say that if the first generation of EV tall aircraft goes to market, say in 2024, like Archer Aviation and, and Joby are proposing, then they figure Whisper's product could potentially appear in the next generation of EV tall. So we wouldn't necessarily see these being utilized, assuming they work, uh, you know, right out of the box. Technology needs to advance and progress. So we'll, we'll see. Um, if they can figure it out, they're going to be a very profitable company. But uh, Max, if anyone's heard a Fenstron compared to a helicopter, that fan on the back of a helicopter instead of a tail rotor definitely reduces the noise of the helicopter, like like on an MH65 by the Coast Guard or a dol- commonly known as a dolphin. So it can be done. It's just people need the patience and the technology. And then, you know, you're adding a thruster to a quadcopter and where's that battery kind of energy going to come from and what's the extra weight and all of the other things that go with trying to keep things small and efficient. Uh, Whisper has a website. It's whisper.aero, but there is virtually nothing on that webpage as we record this. There's really kind of two things. There's their tagline, harnessing the power of air more cleanly, efficiently, and quietly than ever before. And there is also uh, a a place where you can enter in your email and subscribe for... I'm not sure what, I guess, updates. It doesn't really say. It just says subscribe. Uh, so if you want to keep current, I guess, with uh, what Whisper Arrow is doing, you can uh, visit whisper.arrow and subscribe to receive their uh, material. From Drone DJ, automated drones are being taught to locate fallen meteorites. You catch a, fo- a shooting star and put it in your pocket. But evidently, only 2% of those meteorites, i.e. shooting stars, actually get recovered. So the University of California Davis researchers think they can increase that percentage. And they want to use artificial intelligence and automated drones. So their idea is they would fly the drone in grid patterns at low altitudes and do that over an area where they suspect the meteorites have fallen and they would take images that would feed into the software and the software would utilize machine learning to differentiate meteorites from terrestrial rocks. Uh, mm, That's, (laughs) I mean, 
when you're dealing with small fragments of meteorites, which is mostly what you know what occurs, the the big pieces that come down are are relatively rare. Plus, they're easy to find or easier to find, and you've got all kinds of amateurs who'll be running around trying to find them. Uh, so it's the small bits that are that are really, uh, I think, maybe more available to locate and collect. But I don't know, David, I'm just imagining little gravel and mixed in with pieces of meteorite and being able to, uh, you know, to train the algorithm to differentiate the two. Ah, that seems like a tough, uh, a tough choice. I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like it's an iron issue. Um, if you know what my my meteorites tend to have lots and lots of iron so maybe there's an attraction there there's a magnetic field that the the ai learning can pick up um but it's a valuable meteorites tell huge stories about the creation of the solar system the universe life itself Getting even the littlest bits of information can help. So uh, good luck to USC Davis, and hopefully this works. You know, it would be a great thing for astronomers to be able to find more impacts, you know, and and, and not the ones that, um, like you see in the movies, that take out whole cities. And you know the difference between a meteor and a meteorite, right, David? Um. If I if I remember my junior high school astronomy class, a meteorite hits the ground. A meteor blow disintegrates in in the air. Right. If it's in the air, it's a meteor. If it strikes the surface of the Earth, then it's a meteorite. But most people don't know that. But that's uh, that's the difference. The same earth science class was, a, that's when I've learned the difference between stalagmites and stalactites. Yes, that's the same class. Stalactites hold, hold tight to the ceiling. Stalagmites might be stalactites someday. <laughs> so, you know, these important things you learn pre the internet. So that stick with you the rest of our lives. All right, well... With that, we want to thank you for listening to the UAV Digest. We, we really appreciate it. This has been episode 378. Find us at the UAVdigest.com. And we have that shortcut link that redirects right to the episode post, if you like. That's UAVdigest.com slash 378. And, of course, you can find us on social media on the usual places, you know, Facebook, Twitter, um, you could always join us on our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAVdigest.com. So with that, Max needs to get back on the road to find out where he's going next week. <laughs> and I, I have to go off and feed the animals. So with that, I'm going to say this is David. And this is Max. Thanks for listening, and have a good week. <laughs>